Our reading today comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, starting in chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Be to each one of us, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does it mean he, ascend, he ascended except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in faith and in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Adam. Howdy. I'm Matt. Um, today, we will be exploring Paul's letter to the church in Ephesians, or continuing on with that, uh, as we have been going for the last few weeks, working our way through the book, passage by passage. Uh, I really appreciate this series, uh, or any time a church decides to slowly go through one entire book of the Bible, because it's such a great opportunity to consider each passage in its context, in light of what we've just heard from the preachers that came before. Uh, and so what I have to share today builds on the sermons uh, that Pastor Andrew gave last week and that Bethany Blankaspor gave two weeks ago. Uh, and I'll also express my gratitude for the Bible Project and Pastor Charles Swindle's book, Insights on the Ephesians, both of which helped me form my thoughts today. Now, Andrew has named this sermon series Big Picture Living. We're beginning chapter four of Ephesians today, halfway through, and uh, to be a little bit too simple about it, today's passage is where we're going to make uh, the pivot from big picture to living. For three chapters now, Paul has been positively exuberant 
uh, as he expands on all of the wonderful new things that have come true in light of Jesus' work and teachings. And at the end of chapter 3, Paul starts to rein in the enthusiasm a little bit, and he prays for strength. Uh, he prays for them to comprehend and to know God's love. And at the end of the chapter, he closes his prayer with a solemn, Amen. And then, Paul pivots. We go straight from Amen to Therefore, from Wow to Here's what we need to do about this. And for a more naturally task-focused person like me, this is the part of the letter I've been waiting for. Um, if, if, you, <laughs> if you haven't noticed, uh, I am not a naturally exuberant and bubbly person, uh, or at least I don't think of myself as such. Uh, outside of church, I have gotten into trouble for this. Uh, there are occasions, I have learned, when people expect you to be excited and effusive, and I have sometimes failed in that, and I'm just feeling naturally more low-key. Something I've known about myself for a long time uh, is that for me, worship is more naturally expressed through working together with someone with a common godly purpose. Some of us are just better wired to worship through focused collaboration in a quiet way than through demonstrative praise and dancing. And here at the beginning of chapter 4, I'm very interested to see what Paul says about doing that kind of work. Before we get to that, though, uh, we need a refresher from Bethany's sermon two weeks ago, which kind of got out of sequence a little bit in the book, but hers is the one that's supposed to, hers is the passage that, that precedes mine immediately. Uh, so, there are a lot of things to sing and dance about. Uh, Paul says that because of Jesus, the Gentiles in Ephesus have gone from being aliens in God's kingdom to citizens. They've gone from being strangers to God to members of his household. They've gone from being separate from the Jewish people to being unified with them. Old hostilities are put to death. This is good news. This, this is excellent news. This is the gospel. Heaven and earth, humanity and divinity, Gentile and Jew have been brought together in Jesus' identity, his life, and his work. So, what, what, um, what do we do about that? Thankfully, Paul has now reached the so what part of this letter. The Ephesians have been shown lots of big picture ideas, and now Paul transitions to explaining the practical implications of all the good news he just hit him with. And <clears throat> the structure of today's passage is basically this. First, Paul calls the Ephesians to action. It's okay if you can't read that. Um, then he talks about the spiritual virtues and gifts that they'll need to carry it out. He ties those ideas together with an emphasis on teaching and on unity. And then he completes his thought uh, with a focus on the destination, about where their actions that he's promoting are going to lead. So let's dive in. Start with verse 1. Uh, and we've switched now to the ESV just because I like reading that one. Um, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Just after finishing his prayer to the Ephesians, Paul calls them to action in a pretty inspiring sort of way. Uh, this is also translated, live a life worthy of the calling you've received in the NIV. Paul identifies the Ephesians as participants who are already involved in a great story with a great purpose. 
He calls them to live out the truth that he's just shared with them. Okay, so how do they do it? Let's read a little further. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Uh, if you've read some of his other letters, you might recognize some of these topics as some of Paul's greatest hits. Today's passage is packed with ideas that he writes about more extensively somewhere else, uh, but here they're collected briefly to urge the Ephesians into some specific new kinds of actions. Uh, first, I want to draw your attention to unity, which is actually at the end of Paul's list. Uh, how do we do it? What does it look like? Why prioritize it? Well, we are to pursue a unity that is built through all of the things in the list before it. Humility, gentleness, patience, love, forbearance, peace. Kids, we have kids. Hi, I see eyes. Uh, what does this list remind you of? Maybe I should remix it a little bit. Love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Fruits of the Spirit, that's right. All right. Uh, so, that's from another one of Paul's letters. Again, the greatest hits. Uh, his letter to the Galatians. It's a slightly different list of virtues than what's listed here in the Ephesians. Uh, but, in both the letters to the Galatians and the Ephesians, uh, he makes the point that these virtues, these ways of living, are things that we are enabled to do because of the grace and freedom that we receive from Jesus. Because, he says, of your new oneness, live with humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance. Let's consider each of those in sequence because they kind of build on one another in a logical way. First, humility. Well, that's internal, right? Uh, Paul says, first, be humble. The work that we have to do begins in the silent, concealed places of our hearts. Shun arrogance. Don't hold yourself or your accomplishments or your private spiritual insights, for that matter, with an undeserved pride. Next, gentleness. Now we're moving outside of ourselves a bit. Don't be rough with each other, physically, emotionally, however. Humble people are enabled to be gentle people. Third, patience. This one kind of bridges between the self and others. Patience happens first in our own hearts and our own reactions internally, and then shows itself through our gentleness. And then last, forbearance, bearing or bearing with one another in love. Again, we're called to turn our feelings in, uh, of compassion for others into action by taking a gracious and generous approach toward people who are frustrating us. And we are told to do all of these, sometimes very difficult things, with an eagerness for unity. Why, though? Why should we pursue unity with other believers? Why not seclude ourselves in the ways that make us most comfortable, either as individuals or as a church? We'll go to Paul for the answer and pick up uh, again in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs uh, to your, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father 
of all, who is over and through all and in all, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We mustn't allow ourselves to become enemies with other believers. We're not meant to live in a competition for influence or recognition, especially with other Christians. We are supposed to be on one team, living out these virtues, strengthening us, and binding us together. You, from Paul here, uh, when he speaks to the Ephesians, is the plural you, or if you hail from the south, y'all. Paul says, y'all have received his grace, and in that abundance, you're free to live in all of these wonderful, generous ways, which, by the way, set up a pretty virtuous cycle. The more humility and gentleness and patience you experience, the easier it is to bless everyone in your community by living in the same ways. These things are the tools for keeping a community together. Moving on, Paul offers even more good news about how the community, both in Ephesus and the global church of Jesus' followers, is empowered to live out its calling, beginning in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, to equip, no, yeah. Good news, again, the whole hierarchy of teaching leaders in the church, everyone from apostles and prophets to pastors, have a responsibility to prepare us to live out our calling to build up the church as a unified body. It's not their only responsibility, but it's an important one. Yes, Paul says, we're expected to do the difficult work of uniting across ethnic and cultural differences, and that can be a real challenge, but we've got help. Jesus has appointed leaders as a gift to help us be ready for that work. And this call to equip us for unity strikes me as one really good tool for evaluating Christian leaders. Reflect for a moment on someone uh, that you're willing to follow, on voices that you allow to teach you here at WCF, on social media, on the news, on your bookshelf? Are the leaders that are teaching you equipping you for a greater unity within the church, or are they pushing you away from your brothers and sisters who live out their faith differently than you? Let's come at this a different way for a moment. Consider again the virtues that Paul just mentioned a few verses ago, and we'll go back to Galatians 5 and the fruits of the Spirit, because in Galatians, Paul offers some anti-virtues for contrast. He cautions us about the corrosive effects of hatred, discord, rage, ambition, dissension, factions. These things work against unity in God's kingdom and need to be checked. And so I'll ask you again, who are the teachers that are, you're, you are choosing to equip you to collaborate with other believers? With the people that require the most forbearance and patience, are they leading you toward a focus on gentleness or grievance? Do they inspire you toward reconciliation or getting even? The church, the global church, to live out this calling must seek a oneness of mutual love and patience with one another, enabled and empowered by the great gift of grace that we have received. There are a lot of ways to go about building unity stoking fears of a common threat, bringing up, uh, yeah, stoking fears of a common threat is an expedient 
and popular one used by some leaders, but it is not a unity rooted in fear that we are seeking. Christians' oneness is not meant to be a temporary alliance built around a common enemy, not our church against those sorts of Christians, or even Christians against everybody else. Our unity is built around a common attraction, focused on and brought together by great truths and great love. It is an invitational sort of unity, built around the essentials of our faith that we share with our brothers and sisters in our community and around the world. And that unity that Paul is calling us to is leading us somewhere good. It is a unity with a purpose. Let's, um, let's go back into the passage in verses 11 and 12, and we'll go a bit further. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of the faith. Nope. Until we attain the faith, attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Or the NIV translates the gender out of that last little bit to make it clear that the emphasis is on becoming mature. Paul, Paul's encouragement is not to unity for its own sake, but to unity with a particular character and purpose. Paul's pivot from the wonderful theology that he's just dropped on the Ephesians and for the last three chapters is a call to unity that is distinctive, not just because of all of those virtues we just talked about, but also because it's mature. And what does he mean by maturity? He means that we will be stable, wise, and growing in our likeness with Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by the wind of every doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. This is all still referring to the work that the leaders of the church have to do, the job of our leaders to equip us for growing into this maturity. When we are, we will no longer be like infants, as the NIV translation says. Look at this guy. He's confused. We don't want to be like him. Um, <laughs> uh, we will no longer be like infants, pushed around by every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness. If we are living out Paul's vision of unity and maturity, we are growing out of our susceptibility to spiritual fads. Think for a moment of a Christian whose wisdom you admire. Are they easily drawn in and swept up by the latest idea? Are they highly reactive? Is a crafty person likely to deceive them about something important? I'm guessing not. I'm guessing that the wise person that you're imagining is a bit more stable than that. Not closed to change, not without emotion, but discerning and maybe even calm. That calm spiritual stability is part of the wonderful destination that Paul is calling the Ephesians toward. They are growing up, and when they are, they will not be breathlessly pushed around by the fashionable spiritual trends of the moment. Ephesus was an important cosmopolitan and pluralistic city. Christians there were exposed to a lot of different cultures and ideas, and Paul invites the Gentile believers there to a calm maturity centered on the unifying aspects of the faith that they now share with the churches in other regions and other cultures. Finally, for today's passage anyway, Paul casts a vision of what this stability and maturity looks like when the Ephesians live it out. 
In today's last two verses, Paul offers a contrast to the infant believer who is tossed about, blown around, and deceived. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We have landed on another one of Paul's greatest hits. The church is described as Christ's body. Where have we heard this before? Corinthians, yes, 12. Uh, one of my favorite passages. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells the church that they are made up of members with differences who come together. <clears throat> Next slide, please. <laughs> who come together to form one body. <laughs> if you don't get the reference, ask a 12-year-old or anyone, any boy who's been a 12-year-old in the last 20 years. Uh, who come together to form one body uh, one, with no one part being more important than the others because they're all required to make the whole. Paul uses that same idea here, but with slight, a slightly different emphasis. We are all joined into a single body and, now, that head is G the head of that body is Jesus, and we are held together by our unity, by speaking the truth to one another in love. It is a mature unity, a truth-focused, Jesus-led, love-filled unity that Paul promises us as the result of our working together to build up our community in the image of Christ. What a wonderful goal. So, how can we get there? Uh, are we equipping ourselves for unity? Are we seeking maturity? Or are we blown around by the winds of new teachings, tossed back and forth by the waves of popular ideas? Are we growing together into a more rooted and mature sort of people? Do we build one another up? It can be a difficult thing translating our thoughts and our knowledge about our faith into actions. And if your disposition is anything like mine, it can be hard to join with Paul uh, in expressing wonder and excitement with abandon. Fortunately, uh, what he asks us to do in this passage is to walk, to do the slow, humble, gentle work of building one another up. He asks us to focus on what's true and essential and together to resist the teachings and teachers who would call us away from that path and I receive it as a gift that we have one another to walk with. Amen.